can never remember if I turn this thing on or not. Okay, uh, good morning. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. We're going very slowly through the book of Romans, uh, but I'm pretty sure we're going to make it through the first chapter uh, before we get to Christmas. So uh, that, that's a big goal uh, of mine. So uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 is where we are. And what I want to do is just uh, go back, remember where we've been, right? We have the introduction, the longest introduction of any of Paul's letters. Uh, he doesn't know the church in Rome, so he's writing a very detailed letter and, and very uh, full and theologically rich uh, letter to this church that he has never met, right? He's explaining the gospel in detail, and he's using the Old Testament to support uh, this to support the gospel, right? And so uh, that's what he's doing. We saw uh, that he wants to visit Rome, why he wants to visit Rome. We saw that he prays for this church, he cares for this church, he loves this church. And then we have the theme of the entire book in verses 16 and 17. And then what the apostle does is he jumps right in to discussing God's wrath and, and uh, our unrighteousness. And he does that from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. And the reason why he does this is because we must understand the bad news. We must understand the fact that our hearts are wicked and sinful and we have rebelled against God in order to fully grasp the understanding that we have a Savior. Uh, we have to understand how, uh, how terrible our sin is to really comprehend how loving and how merciful and how gracious our God is. So when we think about how God has saved us, we know what he has saved us from, right? And so that's what he's going to do. And, and so it can, it's kind of a tough first few chapters, right? So bear with me as we go through the next couple of weeks because uh, we're going to get a lot of, of the scriptures telling us how we're unrighteous and how uh, God's wrath is, is warranted and justified and those sorts of things. But we have to know that in order to fully grasp, in order to really see the full picture of the beauty of our salvation, okay? So um, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 23 says this. Uh, it says, um, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. And God, we thank you for the fact uh, that we have the opportunity to worship you. God, we pray that this morning that everyone here would, would do just that, that our, our hearts and our minds would be completely and totally focused upon you and worshiping you because you are our God. You are our creator. You are our king. And God, you are the God of heaven, and we're not. You are worthy of all glory and all honor and all worship. And Father, I pray that none of us would be distracted by the temporary things of this world, that the things that, uh, that come to mind this morning would be you and, and your, uh, just how incredible you are, Father. And God, we, we pray that this morning as we study the Scriptures, uh, that you would change us, that your spirit would be in this room and would continue to transform us and sanctify us and grow us so that we are more like Christ when we leave than when we came in. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the fact that, that in Christ we can be saved. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Amen. So here we are. We're in verse 21. We talked last week, right, about God's unrighteousness, kind of how it was justified. And he's going to kind of expound on that a little bit more uh, in verses 21 to 23. But really what he did was he kind of uh, took on the role of a prosecuting attorney in verse 18. And and he's going to give the bad news. He's going to show us why we're guilty. um, And then he's going to give us the good news, right? So he explained that God was just in his wrath because we are without excuse, because we have the knowledge that we need to. We know God just by looking at creation. We know God just by looking at the things that he's done. He's revealed himself to us and his, uh, his, his invisible attributes. We can look at creation and see that that God is powerful, that God is eternal, uh, all of those things. We, we know about God. Every person knows those things about God. But we suppress that truth, right? We, we see it and we know it, but we suppress it. And so we're without excuse. But in these verses, Paul explains how it is that, that people go about suppressing that truth in their unrighteousness. He, uh, last week we talked about how we suppress that, or that we do suppress the truth, and now he's going to say, well, here's how we do it, okay? And so um, we're going to see, we're going to break that down a little bit as we go. We're just going to go verse 21, 22, and 23 and, and look at what each one says, okay? So um, how do we suppress the truth? The first thing that we see uh, comes in verse 21, and it's really the first half of 21, for although they knew God, right? Not even the first half. Although they knew God, right? They know God. Now what? They know God. There's a lot here in this verse. Let me read the whole verse again, but focus on the they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but refused to honor him, refused to thank him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's a whole lot there, but the first thing we see is they knew God. Everyone knows God. Everyone knows God. Right? Uh, They know God, uh, not just, again, not just that there's a God that might exist out there somewhere. Right? This is not what the Scripture is teaching. The Scripture isn't teaching that there's some divine being, that everyone knows that there's some divine being and we kind of are aware or know the potential of it. It's saying that, that, that everyone knows God. And they have enough information just from creation that they know the God of the Bible. Now, This does not mean that they have enough information for the gospel and and, and for salvation. The gospel is not declared by looking at the birds in the air and and seeing the ocean come in and sunsets and those sorts of things. The gospel is not declared in that, but God's existence and his invisible attributes are. Okay? So they know God, but they refuse to honor him or glorify him. And really, this is another way of saying they know him, but they refuse to worship him. They know that he's there. They, they know how powerful he is and, and all of those things. They know that he's eternal. They, they recognize him. They know him, but they suppress that truth and they refuse to worship him, right? Verse 21 mentions four ways that men refuse to worship God, right? By, we, we do this by dishonoring him, refusing to thank him, being futile in their, in their thinking uh, towards him and being darkened in their, uh, in their hearts toward him as well. So let's look at these. Right? Although they know God, they did not honor him. Right? They, they, they know God. Again, this is the God of the Bible. They know God, 
but did not honor him. What this is pointing to is original sin. Original sin um, is pride, which is really is at the core of our fallen nature. We don't want to worship God, right? On our own, apart from Christ, the natural man does not want to worship God. What we want is to be worshiped. Okay, we want worship and we want glory. I want that for myself. I don't want to give it to God. The word used to translate uh, honor here can also be translated as glory. And uh, the different Bible translations, uh, they split here. Some Yours might say glory, it might say honor. I think that glory is probably a better way to translate that. But God is glorified above all else. That's actually why we're created. The Westminster Shorter Catechism actually says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I love the way it puts that. To glorify God is to worship Him, to recognize that He alone is worthy of all honor. And to glorify Him is to acknowledge His divine attributes, to acknowledge His, his power and His uh, eternity. To, to acknowledge who he is, the fact that he's omniscient and omnipotent and, and all of those things that, that we're just blown away by, right? That, that's what to honor and to glorify him is. And the scriptures clearly, I'm just going to mention two, but they clearly throughout the scriptures show us that we are to glorify God. Psalm chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All right, so although they knew God, right, they did not honor Him. Right? They, know, they know the God of the Bible, they, but they refuse to honor Him. They refuse to worship Him. But He continues, or give thanks to Him. Because man fails to, to honor and glorify and worship God, he also refuses to give him thanks, uh, to give him thanks really for, for provision. And unbelief here really is compounded by the lack of gratitude. God is the source of everything good. God is the source of everything good, both for the Christian and for the non-Christian, the faithful and the unfaithful. Uh, but the natural man refuses to show gratitude. And he does this because he suppresses the truth of God's very existence. He, He's actively suppressing that truth. So he's most certainly not going to, to thank God, right, that, that he denies even exists. So he's going to refuse to thank him. But the next, as a result of their refusal to glorify and thank God, the natural man became uh, futile in their thinking. To reject God is to reject the very source of all truth. Okay? God is the source of truth. God is truth. Okay? And the source, he really is the source of all meaning and all purpose and understanding to, to everything else. So to reject God is to exchange truth for a lie. The foolish heart that rejects and dishonors God, that refuses to thank him and focuses on the meaningless things, this foolish heart doesn't become enlightened or freed, as many like to claim. Instead, they become darkened and further enslaved to sin. We refuse to thank God. We refuse to glorify God. And what happens is uh, we begin, uh, we, we, we walk away from truth and the source of truth. And so we start, uh, we start mingling in the things that don't really matter. 
And the farther and farther away from God and away from truth we go. And the next thing that happens is their hearts are darkened. That's what happens. Let's jump to the next verse. Claiming to be wise, right? Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Okay? So, at the end of 21, they become futile in their thinking. So now they're, they're claiming to be wise. They're focusing on the things that don't really matter. They're focusing on the things uh, that aren't true. They're, they're actually trading truth and goodness and righteousness for a lie. And so they're futile in their thinking. And so they claim to be wise. They have become fools. And when you ignore or reject uh, the true knowledge of God, uh, everything else really starts to go haywire. Everything falls apart. There's always a consequence for rejecting the truth, right? We, we can stand here and we can say, nope, that's, that's not happening, right? I, I, can, I can go stand on I-90 and I can say, nope, there are no cars here. There's, there's nothing coming. I'm perfectly safe. That doesn't mean it's true, right? I, I can done that. Nope, that's not a semi-truck. It's not there. It's not going to hit me. It, it, there's nothing bad going to happen. But I'm still going to get killed, right? I'm still going to die standing in front of that truck because it's going to hit me. Right? We can deny truth all we want that, that has no impact on the actual truth. Right? So um, there's always a consequence for the rejection of truth. And there, there's several implications of their failure to glorify and thank God. Their hearts become more obscured from the truth. And, and while professing to be wise, while claiming wisdom for themselves, because remember, they want glory, and they want honor, and they want worship. What they're actually doing is displaying foolishness. And so they can claim to be wise, but they're fools, and their foolish heart is darkened. And they, they become fools. Their speculation becomes futile, and once their knowledge is separated from praise, it becomes empty. And this might sound like, like it's not very common. Like we don't, we don't know people that actually do this. But it, it actually happens all the time in, in our society today. We hear it all the time. If, if you log on to Facebook today, I guarantee you'll see it. Right? We, we can, uh, here, here's an example. We hear people say something along these lines. I like to think of God as, and then you fill in the blank. Right? I like to think of God as a grandfather. I like to think of God as a woman. I like, I like to think of God as though he, he just loves, he doesn't really get angry. People say these kinds of things all the time. I like to think of God as, and then fill in the blank, and who knows what's going to come out next. Right? Fill in any, really any kind of crazy idea you want. People will, will make these claims. They reject the true knowledge of God, and you'll become, or really, you become kind of nutty, right? Kind of crazy. I like to think of God in, in whatever it is that they're thinking at that moment. And really what's happening there is their foolishness is being displayed. It doesn't, how, doesn't matter how smart they are, because intelligence really has, no, really has no protection against this kind of superstition. Intelligent people embrace some really crazy beliefs, it really is amazing. There are people out there that believe, like, Scientology, right? There are people that actually believe it. I'm not going to go into what Scientology is, but uh, it's kind of a, a nutty thing to believe, and there are intelligent people that have bought into it. 
right? There are intelligent people who, who uh, will build their building on the basis of feng shui. And, and you know, you've got to have the bathroom in the right spot so that the spirit of the building can flow appropriately. Because if you do it wrong, if you build it wrong and you put this in the wrong spot, then what's going to happen is your business will fail because you put the bathroom in the wrong spot. And people believe this kind of stuff. Intelligent people believe this kind of stuff. And so Paul goes on to say their foolish hearts are darkened. They're futile in their thinking. They've, they've given up truth to pursue a lie. Their foolish hearts are darkened. You know the heart stands, uh, it, it stands for um, like the seat of your emotions or your, your inner identity, your inner core of our being kind of. Uh, Leon Morris put it this way. He said the heart is the center of the inner life from it. The person's direction is determined. His whole course is shaped and his basic commitments are formed. Paul's saying that in the very core of their being, they become impervious to the truth, basically. Truth is often pictured in the scriptures as light. He says here that their hearts are darkened. That is, it gets harder for their dark hearts to accept the truth when they even see it. By suppressing the truth, their hearts become more obstinate to the truth. And then finally, they, they claim to be wise, but they're fools. When we suppress the knowledge of God, when we suppress the knowledge of God, it doesn't lead us to praise. It doesn't lead us to praise. It, it leads us um, it, actually, it always goes bad for us. It's, it's always a bad thing. It never ends well. So professing to be wise, we became fools. Paul says here not only that we suppress the knowledge of God by failing to glorify Him and to thank Him, but that having failed to glorify and thank Him, it leads everything else in our lives to go haywire in our thinking, in our living, in our worship. And then when everything goes haywire and we leave the source for goodness and truth, it doesn't remain void. It's not as though we say, you know what, I'm going to suppress this knowledge. I'm going to suppress the truth, and, and it remains empty. What happens is, is that suppressing the knowledge of God always leads to idolatry. That's what happens, right? So as we suppress this knowledge of God, what happens is, uh, because we're made to worship, we start worshiping something else. And idolatry, we see it in the Old Testament. Idolatry is all over, all over the place in the Old Testament. It's all over the place in, the, uh, in pagan society. In the New Testament, you know, when Paul was in Athens and talking about Rome, there's pagans everywhere worshiping all these different gods. But I can tell you that idolatry is present today. Idolatry is present in America, I promise you. Verse 23, And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the next step. They, they've given up. They, they refuse to worship. They refuse to honor. They refuse to give thanks. They become futile in their thinking. As a result, they become fools. And then ultimately, they become idolaters. That's where, that's where it's going. He, here he tells us that idolatry really is the inevitable consequence of the suppression of the true knowledge of God. When we refuse to worship when we refuse to worship the one true God, it's not that we refuse to worship anything, it's that we will worship anything. If you refuse God, the true God, who's revealed himself to you and around you, you'll worship anything. 
And idolatry really is the, the, really the central religious problem. Not, not atheism or agnosticism or, or any of those things, but idolatry. God has made us to be a religious people. He's made us to worship Him and to glorify Him and to, to see truth. But when we refuse to worship Him, when we, when we suppress that truth, if we won't worship Him, we'll find something else to worship. There, there's a God that we want, and there is a God who is. And if we won't, if we won't worship the God who is, we'll invent the God that we want. We'll make a God in our own image. We'll make a God that we're comfortable with. We see it in the Old Testament. The people of God really did it right in the wake of the Exodus. God, God brought them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He's, uh, he brings them out, and almost immediately, what do they do? They make the golden calf, don't they? Right away, they say, oh, God's great. Let's, let's build a golden calf. Let's, let's completely go against everything we know about God and make a golden calf and worship it. Isaiah has a different take on it. Isaiah actually mocks the pagans who go out and they'd take a tree and they'd cut it down and part of it they'd make kindling for, and for firewood and part of it they'd build a house out of it and the rest of it they'd make an idol and they would worship it. And, I, and Isaiah says, this is ridiculous. He's mocking them for how silly that is. Why on earth would you worship a God that you had to make? Of course it's ridiculous. And we can stand back and we can say, well, well you know, we're more sophisticated than that. I'm not, I'm not going to go carve an idol out of, out of a tree trunk. That's not what I'm going to do. We don't do that anymore. But I can promise you that we make God in our own image. We do that. When you refuse to worship the one true God, the God that has revealed himself through creation and in the scriptures, when you refuse to worship him, According to his knowledge, you will worship anything. You worship anything because you are, as Scripture describes, a fool. The irony of the irony of this is that when we refuse to kind of decentralize ourselves uh, and to acknowledge the one true God to be the proper focus of all life, that really we want to be the center of reality and replace ourselves. We decide that we're going to be the center and, and, and we want to be worshipped and we want to do all of that stuff. We, what happens is when, when we decide that, you know, everything that I say, I should be the center of my own universe, we end up killing ourselves because we can't support the weight of reality. I, I can't generate satisfaction and, and joy Right? I, I, because I'm not God. I, I can't be the source of salvation because I'm not God. I can't free anyone from sin. I, I can't even deliver myself from sin. In fact, I can't even, by my own, uh, by my own will, or by my own determination, or my, by my own discipline, I can't even stop myself from sinning. How, can, how on earth can I claim to be the center of the universe? when we decide that we deserve worship, and when I decide that I, I want to steal God's glory, what we're doing is we're killing ourselves because we can't bring joy or satisfaction or salvation. And so the scripture here, the Apostle Paul here says, until you come to grips with the realization that the suppression of the truth, the one true God, has been given to every human being, really is a, everyone knows this, you're not ready yet 
to appreciate how good the good news actually is. So the reason why we're getting the bad news first is saying, look, if you're still suppressing the truth of the one true God, if, you, if, you're, still, if you're still refusing to honor, you're still refusing to glorify, if, if you're caught up in this futile thinking, if, if, you're, if you're here claiming to be wise but you're actually a fool, then, then you're not going to appreciate how good the good news is. If you don't think that you need a Savior, you're not going to comprehend how wonderful of a Savior you, of a savior you have. If you refuse to accept even the existence of the holy God of heaven, why on earth would you accept the salvation that he brings? Why on earth would you believe that? If you don't think you're a sinner in desperate need of a savior, why would you worship the one who came to save? But that's Paul's point. He goes into detail on how we suppress that truth and, and what happens when we do that. And it leads to death. We might think that we're worthy of worship. We might think that, you know, that nature is worthy of worship or government is worthy of worship. We might think that uh, you know, whatever it is that is the, our most important thing that deserves all of our devotion is worthy of our worship and worthy of our time and worthy of our attention, worthy of being an idol but it can't bring salvation and it can't bring holiness and it can't bring righteousness. Only Christ can do that. But Christ didn't, Christ didn't do it with no cost. Christ paid a deep cost for our salvation, for the salvation of those who put their faith in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And elders, if you want to move forward, what we have here is we, we have Jesus ushering in a new covenant. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, and gave that life up for the sins that you and I committed. He sacrificed himself. He endured the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. If you're here and you've not put your faith in Christ, that's, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcome. We hope that you'll come back, and I'd love to answer any questions you have, but the Lord's Supper is not for you. The Lord's Supper is for those who have put their faith in Christ because it doesn't make sense for you to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died for the sins that you committed if you don't believe that he did that. So while we're, while we're glad that you're here, we, we, we humbly ask that you would uh, not participate in the Lord's Supper. Jesus paid a heavy cost for your salvation. His life was given. His body was torn apart. His blood was spilled. The Father even uh, had forsaken him. He was spiritually separated from the Father so that you can be adopted, so that you can be saved, so that you can be viewed as holy by God, so that you can be made right before the holy God of heaven. 
You cannot suppress the knowledge of the one true God and have your faith in Jesus Christ at the same time. And it is only through a faith in Jesus Christ that you can be saved.